1: I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 23rd of July 2008. Newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and you can go through lots of previous talks I've given which help put the histories of the ages together for you to show you how this reality is constructed, who guides it, and where it's supposed to go with the cooperation of us, of course, always following on. i also look also looking to dot EU for transcripts which you can download and print up and pass around to your friends and you're done in the various languages of Europe. I could talk about so many of the stories that are mainstream tonight, but I'm trying not to. Because they're put out there for us to talk about. And I always give the analogy of the rats in a cage in a laboratory. And before 8 o'clock in the morning, they wake up and they start talking about what's going to be done to us today. Will they shock us? Will they put implants in our head and shock us and make us move in certain directions? Will they inject us with things and watch us as we writhe and do all odd kind of things? That's how the public are. We're in a form of cage with the media the media means middle remember their job is to pass on the reality to you at the bottom and we chatter about it between ourselves and complain as expected we're supposed to do they can't do that to us and we watch it happening over and over as they do it to us over and over and the people keep voting the same farce back in time after time the same democracy, you don't really vote a new party in. You're so disgusted and sick of the last lot, you're voting them out. That's really what happens. The corruption reaches a, a, an open level, and we can't stand them anymore. But it doesn't make any difference because they're just fronts for an agenda which has been published long ago, many times over, by big foundations and think tanks, showing you the direction that you're going in. Even the Council for Foreign Relations has its own magazine telling you, basically, where you're going. Foreign policy, long-term strategy, home and abroad. And yet the public still look at the news to see what they're going to do to us now, hoping it's something different. Well, each time you bend down, you find it's just the same. And so tonight I'm going to go into some of this reality And how it's created for us. And the techniques that are used to give us different versions, upgraded versions of Plato's cave. And that's a good place for us to start, because Plato gave a description of how people brought up in a cave, who were basically fixed in one position to only see towards the back of the cave, had a whole philosophy of reality based upon the shadows it came from the light behind them and projected onto the walls of the cave. And everything about the reality had to be, had to fit the cave. Had to fit into the cave and the structure of the cave and everything they knew about the cave. And one day an insider broke out into the big wide world, traveled it, came back and tried to give them reality. And they turned on him. They didn't want to hear it. It would upset their whole paradigm would want to kill him, you see. And that's what you have today. Truth hurts. Truth is very, very painful. Especially the truth about how we've all been conned our whole lives and our parents before us, down through the last few hundred years at least. Back with more after this break. through the matrix, trying to put you into a higher level of understanding instead of simply reacting to what's given to us to talk about on a daily basis, or at least see behind the reasons for it being given to us. When you understand the media could be telling us anything they want, why they pick certain stories, knowing we're going to pat them and get all upset and flustered and all the rest of it, hot and bothered, as they say. And it's part of the conditioning program as well. Because once you've gone through this sort of avenue for a long enough time, you'll get worn down with it, thinking everything is so oppressive. But remember, it's an information battle. It's a war. It's meant to wear you down and, and think that everything is so impossible and difficult to overcome. The methods of creating a reality for small groups of people, were done thousands of years ago by rearing children at what we call a laboratory. Today we call it a laboratory. And giving them a whole new reality with different gods and all the rest of it. And sure enough, just like Plato's cave, they would they grow up trying to fit everything into that reality that they experience from then on. It must fit into that reality, stuffed in Even though it doesn't really want to go, they'll stuff it in. And that's how the big sciences work, because if you control small groups of people, when you standardize everything, education, information, across the world, you can do it with a whole global population eventually. Now, those countries which have a natural suspicion of this system and have a lot more information, in fact, on this system than we are given, they are the last ones to go down they must be standardized by all means possible and we're watching it happen today as people are killed off and bombed from the air and sniped at by our own troops I I, I refrain from saying our troops, they're just mercenaries because in peacetime anyone who joins the military is a mercenary their god is mercury that's where the word comes from Mercury was a patron saint of mercenary soldiers and merchants because they have both have something in common the a killing. 2004, I mentioned an article that went around mainstream newspapers of one of the advisors to presidents. Now, the advisors are very, very important people. They, they are taught sciences of the mind and the mass mind behaviorism and so on they understand all the marketing ploys which are used to put out the PR to the public and how we will perceive things there's an old saying if you have three or four men marching in step you can do an awful lot more than a hundred men all walking at their own pace and doing their own thing and when you go back to 2001, and all the same, faces came around in their circles, one after another, and back to the beginning, and all around the circle again, of weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction, caw, caw, caw. Uh, then that's what they were doing. They were working in step by using phrases and slogans, as Lenin said that they would do. But this particular article that came out in 2004 was a little boast, you see. It came from one of these Characters who are very, very pleased with themselves, knowing they could pull off what they have pulled off, and knowing it's not just about the invasion of Iraq. It's a whole 100 years war, remember, to change the entire world and everything in it, an entire way of life for everyone, including a planned society. We must never, ever lose sight of that. Everything else pales in comparison to it. And this article says, We are an empire, and when we act, we create our own reality. It's subtitled, Scheherazade. Scheherazade is one of the Arabian stories very well worth reading. Scheherazade in the White House, how George Bush wartime administration used a magician, Hollywood designers, and Karl Rove, telling 1001 stories to sell invasion of Iraq. And Shahrazad, as I said, was from the 1001 Nights. And it's about the daughter of the advisor to a Sultan who could tell endless stories. If she didn't tell a story, she would be killed because the Sultan had been betrayed by his wife. And after sleeping with each one in turn, he'd kill them until this one came along who would leave him tantalized and with a cliffhanger. So we had to tune in the next day and keep her alive. And she was very good. She spawned us forever. And that's what we have, giving us a reality. Scheherazade and the White House. And this was by Christian Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N, in Le Monde, Diplomatique, Paris, France, 1st of January 2008. A few days before the 2004 presidential election, Ron Suskind, a columnist who had been investigating the White House and its communications for years wrote in the New York Times about a conversation he had with a presidential advisor in 2002. They said that guys like me were in what we call the reality-based community, which he defined as people who believe that solutions emerge from your judicious study of discernible reality. I nodded and murmured something about enlightenment principles and empiricism, He cut me off. That's not the way the world really works anymore, he continued. We are an empire now. And when we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities, which you can study too. And that's how things will sort out. We are history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do now that's the arrogance of those who are not projecting into the future their domination they're, they're very grandiose because they're so they're so sure of it already they have it they have a world under a spell because it's a science which is used against the people and for those who are hard of thinking I'll repeat that latter part we are an empire now. And when we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, and that's what everybody does in all the shows, is, is just parrot, 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 the latest thing we're meant to get all hot and bothered about. And while you're studying that reality judiciously, as you will, as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities which you can study too, and that's how things will sort out. We are history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do. Susskind's article was a sensation, which the paper called an intellectual scoop. Columnists and bloggers seized on the phrase reality-based community, which spread across the Internet. Google had nearly a million hits for it in July 2007. Wikipedia created a page dedicated to it, According to Jay Rosen, professor of journalism at New York University, many on the left adopted the term "proud member of the reality-based community." Their blog said. The right then jeered at the left's self-description: "Their reality-based?" Question mark Yeah, right. The remarks, which were probably made by Carl Rove a few months before the Iraq War, are not just cynical and Machiavellian; they sound like they come from the theater rather than from an office in the White House. Not content with renewing the ancient problems discussed in cabinet offices, pitting idealists against pragmatists, morals against realists, pacifists against warmongers, or, in 2002, defenders of international law against supporters of the use of force, they display a new concept of the relationship between politics and reality. The leaders of the world's superpowers were not just moving away from real politic, but also from realism to become creators of their own reality. The masters of appearance, demanding a real politic of fiction. Disney to the rescue. The U.S. invasion of Iraq in March 2003 provided a spectacular illustration of the White House's desire to create its own reality. Pentagon departments, keen not to repeat the mistakes of the first Gulf War in 91, paid particular attention to their communications strategy, as well as 500 embedded journalists integrated into sections of the armed forces. Great attention was paid to the design of the press room at U.S. Forces Headquarters in Qatar. For a million dollars, a storage hangar was transformed into an ultra-modern television studio with stage plasma screens, and all the electronic equipment needed to produce videos, geographic maps, and diagrams for real-time combat. A scene in which the U.S. Army spokesman, General Tommy Franks, addressed journalists cost $200,000, one scene, and was produced by a designer who had worked for Disney, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, and the television program Good Morning America. In 2001, the White House had put him in charge of creating background designs for presidential speeches, unsurprising to those aware of the ties between the Pentagon and Hollywood. More surprising was a Pentagon decision to recruit David Blaine for interior design. He's a, famous ma- a magician famous in the U.S. for his TV show and for conjuring tricks such as levitating or being shut in a cage without food. Blaine claimed, claimed in a book in 2002 that he was a successor to Jean Eugene Robert Houdin, Houdini, a 19th century magician who agreed to go to Algeria at the French government's request to help to quell an uprising by showing that his magic was better than that of the rebels. It's not known whether that is what the Pentagon expected from Blaine, but it seems that use was made of the illusionist talents for special effects, and I'll be back with more of these effects after the following messages. through the Matrix. Going through this article about reality that was in Le Monde, concerning the tricks that are played on the public, which to take for granted to swallow it because they've been brainwashed with commercial television, and as long as you put the same kind of scenarios in the backgrounds and so on, you think it's all quite real and natural. You swallow it because you've been brought up... <laughs> gorging on marketing techniques without even knowing it. This says here Scott Sforza a former ABC TV producer who worked within the Republican propaganda machine created many backgrounds against which Bush made important statements during his term of office. On May the 1st 2003 he stage managed the presidential speech on the Abraham Lincoln aircraft carrier before a sign reading mission accomplished. Major combat Operations in Iraq have ended in the battle of Iraq, the United States, and her allies have prevailed. The show didn't end there. Bush landed aboard the carrier on a fighter plane renamed Navy One. On it was written George Bush, Commander-in-Chief. He was seen leaving the cockpit dressed in a flight suit, his helmet under his arm as if he were returning from war in a remake of Top Gun, the film produced by Harry Brookheimer was a familiar face in Hollywood Pentagon operations, he made a reality TV show, Profiles from the Front Line, on the war in Afghanistan. The former New York Times theatre critic Frank Rich described the television coverage of this event and said it was fantastic, like theatre. David Broder of the Washington Post was captivated by what he called Bush's physical posture, As far as I had to stage the scene carefully so that the city of San Diego, about 60 kilometers away, was not seen on the horizon when the carrier was supposed to be out in open sea in a combat zone. But the staging was never as explicit as on the 15th of August 2002, when Bush solemnly spoke of national security in front of Mount Rushmore with the sculptures of the faces of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln during his speech the cameras were placed at an angle that allowed Bush to be filmed in profile his face superimposed onto those of his predecessors the image becomes the story for Bush's speech on the first anniversary of 9-11 in which he prepared US public opinion for the Iraq invasion by glorifying the great struggle great struggle the lovely struggles like my Kampf my struggle the this word struggle That tests our strength and even more our resolve. Sforza rented three barges to take the team to the foot of the Statue of Liberty, which he had to, had lit from below. He chose the camera angle so that the statue appeared in the background during the speech. Frank Rich, commentating on this, quoted Michael Deaver, who stage managed Ronald Reagan's Declaration of Candidacy speech in 1980 with the Statue of Liberty in the background. According to Deaver, people understood that what was around the speaker's head was as important as the head itself. What is around the head turns an image into a legend, mission accomplished. The founding fathers, the Statue of Liberty, over time the image becomes the story, but the event must resonate with the viewer, must make two moments interact, what is represented in the image and the actual moment it is seen. This resonance produces... The desired emotion. Emotion, you see, imprinting by emotion. For Americans in 2002, nothing could have had a greater emotional impact than a speech on war on the first anniversary of 9-11. The country had just come back from summer holidays and was ready to concentrate on important matters. According to Ira Chernus, professor at the University of Colorado, Karl Rove applied the Sheherazad strategy. When policy dooms you, start telling stories. Stories so fabulous, so gripping, so spellbinding, that the king, or in this case the American citizen who theoretically rules our country, forgets all about a lethal policy. It plays on the insecurity of Americans who feel that their lives are out of control. Rove did this with much success in 2004 when Bush was re-elected, diverting voters' attention away from the state of the war, by evoking the great collective myths of the U.S. imagination. As Chernus explains, Rove was betting that the voters would be mesmerized by John Wayne-style tales of real men fighting evil on the frontier, at least enough Americans to avoid the death sentence that the voters might otherwise pronounce on the party that brought us the disaster in Iraq. Chernus believed that Rove invented simplistic good-against-evil stories for his candidates to tell and try to turn every election into a moral drama, a contest of Republican moral clarity versus Democratic moral confusion. The Scheherazade strategy was a great scam built on the illusion that moralistic tales can make us feel secure, no matter what's actually going on out there in the world. Rove wants every vote from a Republican to be a symbolic statement. This August, Roe was forced to resign by Democrat members of Congress. He announced his decision with an admission which we've applied to all his work. I feel like I'm at Moby Dick. They're after me. Well, I guess you had a whale of a time there. And you can also get that at this particular article at www.mindfully.org. I'll be back with more on reality after this break.
0: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network, because you can handle the truth.
1: Hi folks, I am Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. This matrix has lots of different areas within it, and lots of programs all running at the same time a different program in every area, sometimes multiple, and that's your reality. Given by media, magazines, even through marketing ads and television, little messages, not just about the ad itself or the product they the one sell, but also the political correctness, they sneak in there too. All promoted from the top down to you. Downloaded, basically, to you. And we all become upgraded because the do-gooders, the ones who want to please society, fit in fast, adopt everything, regardless how ridiculous it is, they're the first to adopt it, and they want to be avant-garde to an extent, showing how politically correct they are, that's in their speech or their dress or whatever, or their behavior, and the rest follow suit. Plato talked about the fashion industry and the music industry 300-odd years B.C., essential to create a reality for the public. We mimic what we see and hear. And that last little read I had there about reality and how it's given to the public and sold to the public through Hollywood, mixed with Pentagon, mixed with politics, all working together. People should read or go and see the movie, Wank the Dog, where they go through the whole scenario about a year before the actual war in Bosnia broke out. They show you how it was done in the movie, before the war, and the war followed the movie. Quite amazing. For they even bring in a a producer from Hollywood in the movie to help direct this fiction for the public to swallow. Another thing I should mention, too, before I go to callers, is that Orwell, George Orwell, in his book 1984... The character in the, the book, Winston, worked in a department where he, he altered history. He would get little snips out of newspapers, alter them, photocopied the, the new one, and then he put all the old stuff, all the old histories down the memory hole where it was burned up. And that took time. As he pasted these things together and photocopied and so on. Today, I can read something like that thing that happened on Channel 4 about the, the great weather scam hoax. Heavily attacked by the big foundation that's set up to promote the global warming scam, and I read from the article that was put out that day. The following day, they changed the article, it even got in different, right, different names in it. In fact, that's how fast they can alter things and put down the memory hole today with the internet, the speed of light, basically. And they say, seeing is believing, so that becomes your reality. That's all that's left. In the blink of an eye, that's how it's done. I remember when Prince Charles, it was deemed he had to get a wife to get a, a, an heir. They were looking for an heir for the throne, and they didn't want me to die off. So as they were hunting around for someone, they, they, they actually hired a PR team. Now, now, 15 years after the event, they admitted they'd done this. It's almost like the, how, how they exposed the technique they used on the public 15 years after the fact. But, but the Buckingham Palace has a professional in-house PR team and camera team and all the rest of it that deems up all these little stories to project to the public. You know, the, the queen walking her dog in the Highlands of Scotland and stuff like that. To give a, a sense of a different reality. Which is just one of us type thing. Living in her castle, right? And this one was Prince Charles. They spent a fortune to promote him as the most eligible bachelor in the world. And you saw wherever he went, crowds of beautiful women were throwing themselves at him, like a pop star. And all these model types would run up the beaches in Australia uh, to to hug him. Just going crazy. And 15 years later or more, they admitted they hired all those models to do it. Everything is a con game. Is given to the public. Even the exposés are con games. It's, it's fantastic. What a, what a reality we live in. Most never figured out. They fall into the traps. And so tonight I could have talked about all the other things that are given out for us to natter about and worry about and burn our brain cells over. Real things that are happening, definitely happening. But really, the time we hear about them, it, it, it's over. Even the world meetings they have to do with censoring the Internet were done long ago. And they set out their their resolutions and their timetables and how we take it down. And it is true that CAD is to be the test base as Bell and TELUS merged together in this effort to bring on the big cable company organizations, the well-known ones on the mainstream, and bring it into the Internet and then eventually... You'll have to pay for all the smaller sites, even to look into them. You have to pay for each little site that you look into as they phase out all the nuisance factors. But why go in there? It's a done deal. It was designed before they gave us the Internet. How to get us hooked on it? How to market it? Because once you're hooked on info or data, just data, you won't be able to throw the thing out the window when it's of no more use to you. You'll still listen to the the data regardless of who supplies it. They know this. And since most folk have already adapted with their banking and everything on the internet, they can't do without it now. They can't imagine any other way than this. That's how fast we adapt. Amazing. It's also amazing that the reality of invasion of Iraq was publicized in the mainstream newspapers across the planet because of po- massive polls they were doing and, and surveys to see if the American public were buying the idea that Saddam Hussein somehow had something to do with 9-11. And the mainstream medias here in Canada and elsewhere said within a span of four months after the admission in the, on the inquiry by Bush himself on national, international television uh, that Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11. He said, I never said that. He said, I just said he was a bad man and the world is much better off without him. But within four months, the media said through their studies, the same media that exposed that and showed it to the public, I convinced the public that Saddam Hussein was the, the guy behind 9-11. Four months is what it took of repetition. Propaganda. After it was aired on national, international television from Bush himself, stating he had nothing to do with it. That's how fast they can bend reality. Because most people don't think consciously, they don't reason through anything. They'd get downloaded. And that's exactly what Brzezinski said would happen when he was writing his book back in the 1970s. It's happened for most people. They also have no memory. They have no memory. People with no memory and no reasoning power are goners. Anything can be done to them and with them by those who understand which buttons to push and what levers to pull. It's an old science. Simple, to Very, very simplistic. I will go to the callers and go Rick from California. There, you there, Rick?
2: Yes. Uh, can you hear me, Alan? Yes, I can. Uh, how are you doing?
1: I am surviving
2: here. Yeah, me too. Um, I wanted to bring up something. It's kind of kind of what you're talking about. Um, I'm concerned that uh, you know that, that that the media is demonizing um, uh, Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe, and um, you know I have, uh, uh, I met a black man from Botswana who. Like Mugabe, and it made me think. And I went and did a bunch of research, and I found out that uh, the British government actually agreed to help Mugabe uh, make this, uh, take, get the land back to its rightful owners, um, and take it away from the uh, wealthy magnates who are descendants of Cecil Rhodes and all that. Um, And the British government reneged on the on the deal, and um, Mugabe's being blamed. I feel for all the all the poverty and suffering in in Zimbabwe, and. And, um, you know, and some of it may be true and some of it may not, I don't know, but it, um, I feel like it's kind of unfair. I don't, I don't think it's all his fault. You know, I think that.
1: Well, uh, again, too, I don't ever read the policies put out by the cousin of Charles Darwin, and that hmm. was Francis Galton, who said that eventually he would like to put in charge of Africa Chinese. Oh, yeah. And if you're following what's happening there with the Chinese military in uh, some of those countries now, and the massive immigration of Chinese into it, they're fulfilling a very old plan. Wow. So regardless of Mugabe, he's just playing the game. Yeah, he, yeah. And no, they don't, they don't make mistakes, and, and they don't go back on their policy. And and Charles Galton, the cousin, not to be confused with the grandson, Charles Galton Darwin, uh, he laid out the plan for the recolonization of Africa. That's what he called the industrious Chinese, wow. and and we know that China is to take over from the U.S. eventually as the policeman of the world, and it's only right that they have, a, they have their bases, their main bases there, more or more central. Yeah,
2: yeah, I was thinking about that too because I, I did notice that the Chinese, China, is getting control of Zimbabwe, and yeah, mm-hmm. another thing I want to bring up too is, um, in a way, it seems like almost like South Africa, it could be worse off. Than it was under apartheid because now that it's acceptable, it's open to the corporations to come in and, like for example, I read one article about how the GM, the GM uh, company, GM companies are co- collaborating with the South African government. And they're trying to collectivize uh, small farmers, black farmers, who mm-hmm. they want to grow their food the traditional way, but the government and the GM uh, companies are trying to collectivize, just like they did in Ukraine, trying oh, to yeah. force. You know, so I just want to bring that up too.
1: Oh, yeah, and there's no doubt about it, right after the supposed victory, uh, for Mandela and so on, who, who remember, he was put in prison as a member of the Communist Party for throwing hangaries into school buses. Mm. Um, and this, this, this man, uh, wanted a, un, a united Africa as a united trading bloc. So, unification again, remember under the con game of freedom, then you, then you centralize and unify into one big massive continent then you rule it so easily around a whole bunch of separate states. The same thing happened in the United States, mm-hmm. too long ago. Yeah. So that's the same technique that's been used there. And, um, and yeah, they, they are worse off, and the Beers and all the big gold boys are still in there. Make, they made deals at the very beginning, and the Africans are still going down the mines and having their, their anuses checked and their mouths checked and ears checked for little diamonds as come out of the mines. And totally degraded as always. So it's, it's new day, you know, same boss basically, or different boss, same day. You know, same old thing. That's
2: Good. kind of what I suspected too. All right. Well, well, well. Um, I just want to add the disclaimer. I'm not saying that they should go back to apartheid by no means. Um, you know. But, but um, but um, thank you very much, Alan, for for your um, for, for for offering your input on this. I just wanted to bring that up. Okay. Thanks for
1: calling. All right. Bye bye. Bye now. i have got to Jack in Canada. Hello, Jack. Hello there, how are you doing today? Not so bad, I'm surviving.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. I'm, uh, I'm seeing that, uh, there are those, as our friend just said, that are in, uh, under apartheid that were perhaps under maximum security. Uh, I think that we're in minimum custody, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, constantly. Oh, yeah. I love your show today. It's, 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 it's exactly, uh, everything. I am becoming so, um i'm going beyond the cynical person i was all my life now just listening to your shows it's uh i don't know where it's taken me but uh i guess my question today was though uh, it's it's interesting that the prices of gas are going down and is this just the lull before the the rebound into driving us into totally demoralized uh yeah uh, that's all it is right
1: that's all it is since the 70s you always have it going up they lower it by, um, at the maximum, they lower it by one third, so you're still two thirds up. It's one step back and two steps forward. And yep. this, is, this is goes every time. We breathe a sigh of relief when they drop it a few cents and forget we've just been screwed out of 40 cents in the last hike.
0: <laughs> exactly. But, um, I'm looking for remedy here. I don't know how to find it. I don't know. Um, it's wonderful to obtain all this information, the alternative history, which is actually the, the truth. Uh, as opposed to the mainstream uh, schooling. But what do we do now? What do we do? We can't take these guys out.
1: And you can't fight them by the, the methods which they use. No. They give us the fake tools to complain and, and courts and all that. I call, them, I call it the rubber roads where all the tools, the picks and shovels and all that that are lying there for emergency, you pick them up, you bang the road with them, and they bounce off, but you realize they're all fake so you can't do it that way through their system even if you've got billions of dollars they'll take it all from you over the years as you fight them if you fight them physically they'll demolish you because they own all the systems of war they're the masters of war and and what you fight them with is something that they're trying to conquer and that's your your basic innate decent human nature which they've been destroying for, for generations now is they debase us and, and we emulate the debasement that we see on television and, and society we emulate it and we lose our humanity in the process that's the cohesion of society is that basic humaneness that we can have towards one another as we pull through the toughest times that's what they must destroy they don't want that they don't want cohesiveness right down to the individual they break you in from the family until they can talk right down to you, Joe Smith, and say, Joe Smith, we order you to do that. No one stands up to help you. That's what they want. Destroy all of that humaneness. Government took over the functions of family. That's why they gave social work out there and welfare and all the rest of it until the public themselves accept it as some sort of right. And yet, as they take each thing away and say, we're going to do this for you, they're taking away that which you do for each other. You see, and when they take it over, they then use it as an authority ultimately over you, and that's what's happened. Len- Lenin talked about this, this strategy long ago, including police forces. He says that we'll give them services like police, uh, social care, etc., and then they'll turn into authorities which will rule the lives of the people.
0: Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for a wonderful show this evening. It was, I was, I, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Thanks for calling.
1: Thank you. And i have got Kyle from Connecticut, 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 that place. Yeah. <laughs> how are you doing? All right, Alan, how are you? Not so bad, dear. Well,
0: I, I really um, enjoyed this uh, analogy of the cave by Plato. And, uh, you know, if people don't venture out, um, is it really worth it to try to
1: inform the people back in the cave? Uh, no. Uh, no, you, you can try on a certain level... But really only those who are already wondering what will come forward. The, the, the start of the great journey starts with an individual themselves. It has to be there. Something sparked it off and it's igniting. And there are no don't know, answers to the questions, but if they hear you speaking, they will make themselves known to you. And you yes. can fill them in. But the rest, no, they've swallowed the reality as it's been presented to them. So people the like... Carl
0: Rove that are you know under indictment uh why are they running away why don't they come back and deal with the reality they created uh, I'll, I'll answer that after this break
1: as another dose of the real reality the higher reality that tricks us all or we're all living under at least most of us are some of us have broken through some have the need qualities to do it Well, you'll find that Rose and others never leave their positions even when they seem to be kicked out they're working in teams behind the scenes they don't get punished as such it's a source for the public they're too valuable to lock away for any reason because they're first class con men, they understand the nature of the average person and how to fool them. Confidence trick. A confidence trickster must use the victim's own senses to entrap them. They understand that by the understanding your logic. But here's a little thing it came from it was from the London Times, the Times, the Times, June 5, 1873. In a letter to the Times of Francis Galton, cousin of Charles Darwin and a distinguished African explorer in his own right, obtained a daring, if by today's standard, utterly offensive new method to tame and colonize what was then known as the Dark Continent. He said, My proposal is to make the encouragement of Chinese settlements of Africa a part of our, now that's the British national policy, London policy really, in the belief that the Chinese immigrants would not only maintain their position, but that they would multiply and the descendants supplant the inferior Negro race, wrote Galton. He was a top eugenicist, remember. I should expect that the African seaboard, now sparsely occupied by lazy, palavering savages, might in a few years be tenanted by industrious, order-loving Chinese, living either as a semi-detached dependency of China or else in perfect freedom under their own law. So, you, these, these agendas were made a long time ago. I keep telling you about the long-term business planning that goes into running the world. Remember that his descendant Charles Galton Darwin wrote the book called "The Next Million Years." The next million—what a boast! Quite, quite a—that's that, quite the, um, the, the 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 target to set. The next million years—quite an ambition. And they mean business, these guys. These inbred nyaff, is a good old Scottish word, inbred nyaffs. They have these specific genes that love to pass on to each other that guarantees the, the, the psychopathic offspring. And they own the money's world, the, the world supply of its money, they own the systems of the world, they own the mineral rights of the world, and they truly do believe they own us too. And by legalities, and birth certificates and obligations that you sign they do own you they're very very legalistic very legalistic, and we always fail to see it now for those who want to keep me going look into cutting through the and download as much of the old stuff as you want and order the stuff that's for sale that keeps me alive There are expenses here to do all these sites. And you can also donate as well. And that also helps to keep me going. Because as you all know, the money has been devalued at such an incredible pace right now that things are shooting up in the stores as it's supposed to. Again, it's not by chance. It's all all planned that way. I said years ago when the U.S. finishes off the Middle East, we're pulling the rug from underneath the people back home. And we're seeing it in this 100 years war to the brave new world. From Hamish the Pooch and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.